Hello, and welcome to what I believe is now episode three of the Track and Field History Podcast. Um, And today, I have uh, something that's a bit topical. Of course, there's not really any competition going on right now, but it's still a competition that's being held online. This is, speaking of Tuesday of this week, when... Uh, Let'sRun.com released a bracket of 64 runners to determine the greatest American distance runner of all time. They had 32 men's nominees and 32 women's nominees, and they're going to play them off over a few weeks to try to determine who the greatest of all time is. And I thought, you know, this is a really, really hard thing to determine because there's so many different things, especially when you're looking at distance running, because we have outdoor track, of course, but then we have uh, road running, indoor track, cross-country, The Olympics get the lion's share of attention. Uh, I believe just six Americans have been Olympic champions at distances of 1,500 meters or longer in the last 100 years. So uh, that's a big deal. But there's so many other things. Um, There's so many different ways of looking at it, times and competitions and, and winning streaks and well, maybe you're just really dominant for one for a short period of time, or maybe you're really good over a very long period of time. Let's just talk about uh, some of these things. One of these nominees set world records for every road distance from the 12 kilometers all the way up to the marathon. Um, that's incredible, incredible dominance. Uh, one of these nominees had a three-year win streak at all distances further than 10,000 meters. Um, That's incredible dominance to be able to win that much against the best in the world for three straight years. One of these uh, nominees had tremendous uh, both longevity and uh, ability across a wide range of distances because his nominee uh, earned track and field news U.S. rankings, that's top 10, at every distance from 3,000 meters on up to the marathon and over a 25-year span. Um, You can look at records. One of these held both the American half marathon and full marathon record, each of them for over 20 years. Um, Some of them, some of these people have really odd and unusual accomplishments, like one of these nominees won a major marathon and set the collegiate 10,000 meter record, both in the same spring. And one of these nominees was the leading runner on a U.S. team that won gold at the World Cross Country Championships. There haven't been very many of those either. So how do you determine, you know, which one's the best? Well, it does become a lot easier when you realize that there's one person who has combined all of those things that I talked about. That person is, of course, Joan Samuelson. She's best known as the 1984 Olympic marathon champion. She won the very first Olympic women's marathon. I remember watching that race on television. It was uh, one of the first uh, track and field competitions that I can remember watching on television. I had just finished my first year of junior high competition, and every time they said it was the first Olympic marathon for women, it didn't make any sense to me. I thought that that couldn't possibly be true because... I had seen girls competing in track and field events and road racing events and cross country my whole life. Um, So it didn't make any sense to me that that would be the first one. But in fact, it was. And uh, she faced off against the greatest collection of women's marathoners ever put together at the time. She ran against Greta Weitz, who won the New York City Marathon 
nearly uncountable number of times and set world records. She beat, she ran against Rosa Moda, who was the 88 Olympic marathon champion and was an uh, won many major marathons as well. She ran against Ingrid Christensen from Norway, who was a tremendous marathoner, won many major competitions and set a lot of records. Lorraine Muller of New Zealand, Priscilla Welch from Great Britain, Lisa Martin from Australia. Um, and in true Benoit Samuelson fashion, at 14 minutes into the race, just a little bit before the three-mile mark, she just decided... I'm sick and tired of getting stuck in a group. I'm going to skip this next water stop and get a lead. And that was it. I remember watching this race and thinking, well, isn't it obvious that Benoit is just that much better than everyone else? Veitz was the woman who uh, was the major competition, and um, and Veitz just let Benoit go because she was sure that Benoit was making a mistake and going too soon. And it wasn't until 18 or 19 miles that Veitz figured out, she's not coming back. I have to go get her. Um, and Veitz did close, but uh, Benoit held on. Um, one of the interesting things about the marathon course in 1984 was that it used a three-mile stretch on the Marina Freeway where they had closed down traffic. And so you're running completely, totally alone. And for Bonite, that was wonderful because she was from the small town of Cape Elizabeth, Maine, a suburb of Portsmouth, where she had grown up near the ocean and the forest and the hills, and she enjoyed running all by herself and out in the open with no city around, no nothing around. So, she was so she thought that it was a wonderful thing. And as she approached the Los Angeles Coliseum, uh, she heard the crowd go nuts when they heard that Benoit was leading. And as she entered the tunnel, she did not like attention. She was she liked to win, but she didn't like attention. And she said, When I came into the stadium, you come out from underneath the tunnel, you're going to be a different person. Do you want to come out of the tunnel? She actually thought about just stopping, but of course, uh, her momentum carried her through onto the track. She ended up winning over Vites by 400 meters. I decided uh, about two months ago I'd have to run my own race no matter what happened, and I was very comfortable the entire way, and I, I just don't believe the race is over. Um, and that was the biggest moment, but it was hardly the only moment. Um, talking about all the different things that she had accomplished, one of the things was that she was basically the first American woman to follow the now routine path to international stature. She ran for a high school team. She also ran for a club team. She ran for college teams, and then she went on and ran as an individual. And it wasn't that long into her post-collegiate career that uh, athletes could openly take prize money and sponsorship money. And so she was one of the very first that was able to benefit from that. Um, she, like I said, is from uh, Cape Elizabeth, Maine, home of the most photographed lighthouse in America. 
Um, and she grew up with in an upper middle class, but very respectable, very um, buttoned down New England family. And uh, she did all kinds of sports. She started as a skier. Her father was in the 10th Mountain Division in World War II. So everybody learned to ski in that family uh, basically as soon as they could walk. Um, And at one point, she broke a leg doing downhill skiing. And uh, after her leg healed up, to get herself back into shape for all the different sports that she did, she began to run. And she figured out very quickly that she was both good at it and she really, really liked it. She was good at team sports, but she really liked the independence of being a runner. Um, So she went on to Bowdoin College because, of course, that's where her respectable family had gone to college, and she thought that it was the place for her as well. Uh, Bowdoin had a track team. Uh, She ran for the track team at Bowdoin, but Bowdoin didn't have a cross-country team. She played uh, field hockey in the fall, and she ran cross-country races and road races uh, with the Liberty Athletic Club out of Boston. Um, That was the nation's first Track and running club created just for women, created in 1948. Um, And she decided that maybe it was time to leave Bowdoin when her field hockey coach came down on her hard for being too tired to play in a game the day after running a half marathon. So she ended up taking a scholarship to run at North Carolina State. Um, She was uh, actually not even the best runner on the North Carolina State team, a teammate by the name of Julie Shea uh, was one of the best collegiate runners in the country at the time, Uh, and Bowden settled into second. She was still quite good. Um, She was in her uh, junior year at uh, North Carolina State. She was ninth at the National Collegiate Cross-Country Championships. This was before the NCAA sponsored any athletics women. This was under the athletic uh, AIAW, which stands for the Association for International uh, Association for Intercollegiate Athletics for Women. Uh, and then a week later, at the U.S. National Cross Country Championship, she also finished ninth. Um, the next fall, she was sixth at the National Collegiate Cross Country and eighth for at the U.S. National Cross Country Championships. And during this time, uh, she was a decent track runner, uh, but she'd also begun to break out at the road races. She had twice won the Falmouth Road Race in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, which was becoming a really, really big thing at the time. Uh, But she didn't like North Carolina State. She didn't like cities. She liked being in Maine. She didn't like being in North Carolina. It was nothing against the people. It just wasn't home for her. So she transferred back to Bowdoin to finish out her senior season. And in 1979, that's when everything really took off. Over Christmas break, she took a trip to Bermuda uh, just to get away from the winter for a weekend. But she also uh, ran a 10,000-meter race, rode 10K on Saturday, and she won it. She won the women's division. On the next day, she ran. She started running the marathon that they had. And she told, uh, she's told her friends and she's told some uh, reporters that her intention was just to run the first half as a long training run. That's all she intended. And then... Uh, but others who have watched said that she was wearing a race number under a second shirt, and at halfway, she took off the second shirt, revealed her race number, and decided to be racing for good. She ran 250 in her debut marathon and finished second. She really hadn't ever gone anything quite like that before. I didn't really know what she was doing, but there was a plan. Uh, 
And that's because in April, she went and she ran the Boston Marathon. This was, again, during her senior track season at Bowdoin College. She had really not a whole lot of knowledge or understanding about the Boston Marathon. She had never watched it. She'd never seen the course. Uh, Again, it was in Boston. She wasn't a big fan of cities. Um, But she knew that it was a big race and something that you'd want to try to compete at it win. So she took a a, a car ride out to the start line with a friend, and they got stuck in a massive traffic jam, of course, and she began to be worried that she would miss the start. So she got out of the car and she bushwhacked through trees and yards and all kinds of other places a mile or two to get to the start line worried that she had overextended herself and she ended up going on taking the lead at heartbreak hill and going on to win in a Bowdoin jersey and somewhere along the way someone gave her a red Sox hat so she put that on and wore that backwards to the finish line um i believe she broke an american record she ran 235 um and then of course she still has to go back and she has to finish her collegiate track season. She runs the 10,000 meters at the AAW championships and wins it. Next day, she goes for the 3,000. I believe she's second. Then a couple of weeks later, she goes to the U.S. national championships, runs the 10,000, ends up second, but breaks the collegiate record. And that collegiate record stood for, I believe, seven years after she set it. Uh, Then next day, runs 5,000, ends up fifth. Um, And at this point, all kinds of racing opportunities are coming open to her. She goes to run the Crim 10-miler in Flint, Michigan, sets a world record for 10 miles. She goes to the Cascade Runoff in Portland, Oregon, sets a world record for 15K. She goes and wins the Nike Oregon Track Club Marathon out on the West Coast. Um, And she's just racing and racing and racing and loving every minute of it. She gets sixth at the U.S. National Cross Country Championships, which was actually a pretty good thing considering that at that time, cross country for women was just 5,000 meters. So it was a fairly short distance for Benoit. Um, In 1980, she continues running extremely well. Uh, She ends up uh, running for the U.S. team at the World Cross Country Championships, finished 26th. She wins a marathon in Auckland, and she's racing and racing and racing. 1981, she continues doing all of this. She breaks the world record uh, for the marathon twice in three months in 1981. Uh, She goes on, and she's starting to run out of gas. She finishes third at Boston, and for whatever reason, it's things just aren't right. And then it turns out she's got heel problems. All this inc- hard training and hard racing, it's more the training than anything else. She liked to run lots of miles, sometimes as much as 125 miles a week. And she didn't like to dawdle. She always said that she didn't like to run with other people because then she'd have to talk. And if the talk test is the pace you're supposed to be going at, then 90% of the time she was running too fast. So she ends up having heel surgery in 1981. Uh, She ends up having bone spurs and bursa sacs removed from each heel. And after she mends up from that, that is when she goes on a tear And from her return to racing in the spring of 1982 all the way up 
to uh, March of 1985, she does not lose a single race further than 10,000 meters. Um, the big one was the 1983 Boston Marathon. A woman by the name of Alison Rowe uh, from New Zealand, she had uh, broken the world record the previous fall in the marathon, and she was entered in Boston. And then Greta Weitz, the great Norwegian runner, uh, the day before the Boston Marathon, Weitz is running in London, and she breaks the world marathon record. So Rowe calls up... Uh, uh, Benoit the night before the Boston Marathon and asked her, would you would you want to work together so we could both uh, attack the world record? And Benoit quietly and politely declined because Benoit had her own plan and Benoit wanted not only to break the record, she wanted to win convincingly. And she also now knew that Roe was in it to win it and go after a record. And Roe had better uh, finishing speed than Benoit. So uh, Benoit decided, I have to go out hard. And so she does. She gets through the first mile of the Boston Marathon in 4.47. Now, the early part of the Boston Marathon is very downhill, but still, that's incredibly fast. Benoit hits the 10-mile mark at 51.38. Again, downhill, but that's incredibly fast. That would still be the second fastest 10-mile of all time by an American, only behind the American record of Colleen DeRook. Of course, you, there was no uh, certification of the 10-mile mark or any official timing or anything like that, but still, it's an amazingly fast first 10 miles. Benoit hits the halfway mark at 108.23. Again, that actually would be, would have been a world record at the time. I think only about eight or nine Americans have ever run a half marathon faster than that now. Again, it could never be certified because the distance was not carefully measured, nor was there an official timer at halfway, but still, it was insanely fast. Uh, and Benoit holds on, runs 2.22 and change, breaks the world record by over two minutes, and wins the race by seven minutes. So uh, going into the following year, she's uh, one of the favorites, along with Weitz, Moda, Christensen, to win uh, the Olympic gold medal. But first, she has to get through the Olympic trials, and she's got a problem. A few weeks before the Olympic trials, she develops a knee knee trouble. She ends up having to walk home from a training run, the first time in her entire life that she had ever done that. And she ends up needing knee surgery. She has arthroscopic knee surgery just 17 days, I believe, uh, before the Olympic trials. Turns out it was a very minor problem that was easily fixed. She goes on and she wins the trials in dominating fashion with very little trouble. Um, and then goes on, and as I told you about before, she ends up winning the Olympic marathon. And then in the fall of 1985, October 1985, she ends up running 221.21 for another world record uh, at the Chicago Marathon, um, and that to take the world record even down further. At that point, then again, the accumulated hard work uh, begins to start to wear on her. So after 1985, things start going down a hill a little bit. She needs surgery again in 1985. 
And then she starts deciding that she wants to explore other parts of life. She had gotten married in 1984. In 1987, she has her first baby. Of course, that didn't slow her down. She finished uh, ninth at the Boston Marathon in 1987 while three months pregnant. Uh, she qualified for the 88-92 Olympic trials, but was unable to run for any of a number of reasons, injuries and family responsibilities. But she also qualified for the 96 and 2000 Olympic trials. In the 96 Olympic trials, she finishes 13th. In the 2000 Olympic trials, she finishes 9th. And remember, she's 42 years old in 2000. In 2008, she qualified in 2004. 2008, she is another eight years older. She's 50 years old. She ends up 90th. She qualifies again in 2012. So she qualified to seven Olympic trials marathons. You've got to realize that there was no Olympic trials marathon for women in 1980 because there was no Olympic marathon for women in 1980. Otherwise, she would have qualified to eight Olympic trials marathons. And even last year, 2019, she goes to Boston. She wants to run within 40 minutes of when she first won Boston in her first race at Boston in 1979. And she ends up uh, beating that by quite a bit. She ends up uh, running 304. Age grading is an inexact science, of course. Uh, but if you age grade that, it comes out to be a 219. Um, so... Her longevity, her uh, ability to compete at the highest levels and keep things going for an incredibly long time, both of those things, um, she's made massive contributions to distance running. Let's realize that she even was very good on the track. She ran in the forerunner of the Diamond League. She ran in Grand Prix races in Europe in the 5,000 meters. She ran uh, major indoor invitationals in the 3,000 meters. Um, cross country. She was fourth at the World Cross Country Championships in 1983, leading into her incredible Boston run of that spring. She was a tremendous runner at all different distances for an incredibly long period of time. So that's who I believe should be picked as the greatest American distance runner of all time.